This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. I hope you're listening to this from somewhere relaxing. Whether you've made it to the beach this summer, you're whiling away hours of flight delays at the airport, not too relaxing, or you're saving your inflated dollars with a staycation. But wherever you are this summer, you need something to read, right? So why not make it sciency? To help out, we're back with our sci-fi bookworms to recommend some enthralling summer readings. Let me introduce them. Deb Blum directs the Night Science Journalism Program at MIT. Her latest book is The Poison Squad. She joins us from Boston. Welcome back, Deb. Thanks. It's great to be back. Nice to have you, as always. And Riley Black is a science writer and author of The Last Days of the Dinosaurs. She joins us from Salt Lake City. Welcome back, Riley. Oh, always good to be on. Thank you. Nice to have you. And uh, I just want to say, if we're talking too fast for you to keep up or you've got sunscreen on your fingers right now, no worries. You can check out the full list of our summer book recommendations on our website, sciencefriday.com slash summerbooks. That's sciencefriday.com slash summerbooks. Okay, let's get right into the recommendations. Deb, I know you tried to recommend Riley's book for our summer lists. I did. It's uh, such a good book, and I love it. And so I'm glad to be here and say that to you in person, Riley. That's a remarkably good job. Oh, thank you. That makes me so happy. I mean, you were one of my inspirations to become a science writer, so I can't think of higher praise than that. So I really appreciate it. We actually got to your book earlier this summer, and so it was it was really great, great reading also. Uh, Deb, seriously, though, your, your first book is about people who steal trees. Is that right? Yes. So Tree Thieves, it's the subtitle is Crime and Survival in America's Northwoods. It's by Lindsay Burgon. It's just an amazing book because I and I followed my husband around the house reading sentences, one of his least favorite things that I ever do. <laughs> but I'm like, did you know? Because it really gives you insights into this phenomenal international illegal trade in timber. I had no idea how vast it was, how how much many billions of dollars it was, how intricately it connected criminal families around the world. That part's fascinating. But she also, because she's setting it in the Pacific Northwest, really gets into the people who steal trees and why they steal them and how desperate they are and builds these almost compassionate looks at people that at one side do terrible harm, personal opinion, huh. and on the other side are, are just struggling to survive when their normal lines of work are disappearing. It's just beautifully yeah. done. Couldn't recommend yeah. it more. I'm it sold really on it. sounds great. Yeah, me too. Uh, Riley, it, it's peak sweat season. I hope you're keeping cool, but you do have a recommendation for us to learn more about how that works, right? Yeah, I mean, I never thought I would be so enthusiastic about a book called The Joy of Sweat, but it really is. Uh, Sarah Everett's book is really just a phenomenal look at this thing that I think so many of us, you know, we want to avoid, right? Or we feel embarrassed about it. But it really is this celebration of sweat, not just its function and how amazing that is that we have our own sort of, you know, air conditioning system that's, you know, very unique amongst mammals, but all the information that it can convey or how quickly things that we eat and drink show up in our sweat. And it really is one of these books 
you know, in science writing, we have so many now about different body systems, whether it's, you know, skeletons or hearts or pulmonary systems or what have you, that, you know, really want to explain the science of it. But the joy isn't always there. And this, like, it really is the joy of sweat. I think you'll leave this book feeling, you know, pretty impressed the next time that, you know, system kicks in on your body, even if it's always not at the most convenient time. Are there people who love to sweat? I'm like a whiny sweater. (laughs) Well, people go into saunas and steam rooms and things like that, or they do hot yoga, right? Yeah, my girlfriend makes mop up tofu all the time. It just makes me start sweating. That's how I know it's good that she got it right, is when the Szechuan peppers start to make me sweat. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's good. (laughs) Okay, so far we've got the tree thieves and the joy of sweat. Let's let's move on to to talking about what makes a good summer book, Uh, Deb. What do you think? makes for a good summer book? I don't know. There's something about summer reading that, to me, you know, whispers escape, escape. It's like it's this time of the year where theoretically we're dialing back a little, thinking about, you know, escaping into different ideas or different zones or different worlds even. That, to me, is a good summer science book. You know, I I knew you guys would come up with the kinds of books you want to read and take to the to the beach. I came up with a couple of books that are, are, are really great coffee table books, mm. but they're terrific. And my first one is called The Thinkers. And it's illustrated by Zachary Pullen and written by Brad Herzog. It's not on Amazon. You have to go to the thinkersbook.org to get it. But this is an amazing book of the history and illustrated histories of your Curies, your Einsteins, your Jobs, your Lovelace, your Da Vinci. But there are also people you have never heard of. I'm going to try to get these names right. Chandra Sekhara Venkata Raman, lauded by Prime Minister Gandhi as the greatest scientist of modern India. And, there, and then there was Dr. Chien Shing Wu, the first lady of physics. You've got Anne Sukamoto, one of the world's most famous stem cell scientists. Dr. Wangari Matai, I hope I'm getting those names right, became the first Eastern African woman to earn a PhD in the Rachel Carson era and go on to talk about environmentalism. And and not only are these people in there that you've never heard of from all parts of the world, but the illustration of them in group photos and by the artist is just worth the price of the book alone. I'm already mourning for my wallet. Like, you know, all these books sound fantastic already. (laughs) That sounds great. Uh, Let's go back to you, Deb. What's your next next recommendation? So this is nothing like the book about dinosaurs that Riley did, but I really liked The Monster's Bones, uh, which just came out this month. It's uh, The subtitle is The Discovery of T-Rex and How It Shook Our World, and it's by David Randall. And I like it because it, it is the story of Tyrannosaurus rex, but set in through the lens of the early dinosaur fossil hunters. The dinosaur hunter that he focuses on is sort of a self-taught hunter. Um, so that, you know, in an era where you didn't have to go and become a PhD paleontologist and do all the things that you have to do today, goes out there and really into the wild, wild west of fossil hunting, which it was at the time, which makes it fascinating. He also looks at the motivations and the competitions between museums at the time, which is are really vicious, which is, speaking of escape, is also really fascinating to get into these sort of backstabbing stories of the early builders of the museums. And he also looks at some of their evil motivations and 
educating the public. Um, and so it all comes together in the story, which is science and dinosaurs and science history and wow. wicked wow. people. Right? Wow, you got everything in there. Yes, it actually would be a pretty good beach read, I think. But it's a smart book. The Monster's Bones. Uh, Riley, what's next for you? I was going to say it's a great summer for paleontology in general. I'm not counting my own book in that per se, but just between the monster's bones. Um, in the past, we've had uh, Dr. Elsa Panceroli's book, A Beast Before Us, which is all about mammal evolution. So this is the sort of untold story of our ancestors and where we came from. And, you know, so often we're told that, you know, mammals lived in the shadow of the dinosaurs and they were underfoot and these little insectivores kind of hiding out in the corners of the ancient world. And we now know that's not true at all, that, you know, there's this really fantastic story that, you know, she really anchors through her research and her field experience at these sites all around the world to talk about basically how our predecessors evolved alongside you know, these animals that now have left their monster's bones to us. And it, I think that's a really fantastic wow. look at our own backstory. And I think you had mentioned one on your list as well, right? The Rise and Reign of the Mammals that Steve Brizotti just did. Yeah. One of my favorite authors, one of my favorite scientists. And yeah, we, I, uh, we're reviewing it. We reviewed it a couple of weeks ago, and that's on my list. And I mean, we have a whole theme of, of a paleontology and archaeology here. And I want to add one more to that. A book, another coffee table book, great illustrations. It's called Discovering Us, 50 Great Discoveries in Human Origins. And the book starts out paying homage to the Leakies, you know, and their contributions and, mm -hmm. and the people around them like Jane Goodall and Diane Fossey. But then they trace the work of 50 great discoveries that followed them over the last 70 years. Donald Johansson and Lucy's, Vante Papo and this genome of Neanderthal, on and on. If you want a concise, beautifully photographed history of human evolution and origins, you'll get you'll get it all in this book. It's called Discovering Us, the 50 Great Discoveries in Human Origins. Let's let's move on to another book that I know you both are, are enjoying or have enjoyed, Vagina Obscura. Tell us about that, Riley. Yeah, I mean, the title really says it all, right? This is something that, you know, about our own bodies, about the bodies of the people that we love and live with that are so often treated as mysterious or unknown when these things aren't unknown. We know quite a bit. And it's really like this journey that leads through and builds on itself, not just through human anatomy, but the history, what we think and why we do and how, you know, the, the topic of this book is relevant to everybody. I think Rachel's uh, specifically, you know, Timmy did an excellent job of weaving through that, you know, you might think that this book is specifically for women. It's really not there are men who this book is very relevant to, non-binary people. The way the book ends is great, focusing on, you know, why gender-affirming surgeries work for people. So really from beginning to end, it's just this really sort of passionate and well-written exploration of something that we don't talk about as much as we probably should. Really, really. Deb, what would you want to add to that endorsement? I mean, I agree with everything Riley just said. I, I, I also want to emphasize that this is a wonderful book that also explores the politics of science so that you see early on in the definitions of the reproductive system. It's an all-male show. And so she's able to go in and both show some of the ways that men misidentified reproductive anatomy to sort of suit their own purposes. 
and, uh, and and how we've been sort of correcting that ever since and rethinking how the human body works in some wonderful ways. I should say Rachel was uh, one of my fellows, a KSJ fellow, so I, I want to be, you know, have that out there. And she was doing some of the research on this book while she was at MIT. And for her final presentation, she 3D printed models of the clitoris and plastic and handed them out. <laughs> That's so this, which makes me laugh just saying it, but, th but there is a wonderful also sense of humor and warmth to the book that I think makes it work. That's good to hear. Uh, you know, isn't it really amazing that researchers are really only just beginning to understand the biology of this reproductive system? You know, it, it sounds like who is doing the research has a big influence on its ability to progress, Deb. A hundred percent, because we bring our very, in science is a human enterprise, as I'm forever reminding people, and so those human biases and perceptions really come into the way we define all different parts of the human body and how it works and who's on first and who's on third and all of the above. And that really, this book really illustrates some of that as well yeah. in a very nice way. Yeah, and we'll be talking about the Gina Obscura later this summer, actually, with the author, Rachel Gross, so our, our listeners can even look forward to hearing her talk about that soon. Okay, I want to move on to a health book I really like. It's called Medical Marijuana. And, you know, in this age where so many states are legalizing marijuana and there's a national movement to this, it took a doctor who has been studying marijuana for decades to actually come up with a book, and he calls it basically a blueprint for other doctors about how to use marijuana as, a, as in medical practice. It's it's amazing. That's kind he's of a had, brilliant idea, actually. Yeah, he's had to tell these people because if you go to uh, places where marijuana is sold medicinally, you'll have people called bud tenders there, <laughs> yes. who, right, who will prescribe for you how to use it when your doctor doesn't know how to, and it may be erroneous. The book is called Medical Marijuana by Mikhail Kogan and Joan Liebman-Smith. I'm Ira Plato. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. One last book from each of you, but let's get weird. Let's make it fiction. Riley, what you got? Yeah, so I've really been enjoying the Kaiju Preservation Society by uh, John Scalzi, which seems pretty far removed based on its title from science, right? Because, you know, the science of Godzilla is certainly its own sort of topic. But this is a fictional take on what if these giant monsters actually existed. But rather than focusing in on sort of the military or the monster fights, although there's certainly aspects of those, it's more like, well, what does the bureaucracy look like around these things? What are the different interests that people would have? And how's the biology of these animals work? So I think if you're looking for something that takes, you know, something that's fantastical, but really gets into like the nuts and bolts of like, what does this mean if this really happened and existed? It's certainly a really fun beach read. The Kaiju Preservation Society. Yes, I joined. Yeah. <laughs> and Deb, what about you? Can I just give a shout out to Lydia Kang? She's a practicing physician and internal medicine specialist in Nebraska. And she writes nonfiction. Um, the, her book of last year was Patient Zero about the origins of outbreaks. But she also writes fiction. She has a book out this year called The Half-Life of Ruby Fielding which is really kind of a crime murder mystery set during the development of the atomic bomb. 
I want to mention it because I'm really fascinated by writers who can sort of cross the boundary between writing good nonfiction and writing good fiction. Annalie Newitz is another example of that. And and I want to just mention that The Half-Life of Ruby Fielding has some wonderful stuff about poison in it, which is one of the things that always gets me excited. I mean, there's this sentence deep in the pockets. I could feel the bottle of zinc chloride, such a simple compound, a fluffy white crystalline substance. And, you know, so it's really wonderful in the way it kind of slides science into the narrative. I I really admire that. Anything doing with poisons, you're in. (laughs) Totally. We certainly have our fields between poison and dinosaurs, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, we have to stop talking about both of them because Aww. we have run out of time. But I want, I want to thank both of you for taking time to be with us today. Riley Black, science writer, author of The Last Days of the Dinosaurs, and Pulitzer Prize winner Deb Blum, who directs the Night Science Journalism Program at MIT. Her latest book is The Poison Squad. See, And for a full list of their book recommendations, go to our website, sciencefriday.com slash summer books. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you so much. Always happy to talk books. I have one last recommendation from Sci-Fi Book Club member Harold. I've been enjoying Bill Bryson's book, The Body, this summer. I love Bryson's easygoing and humorous style, plus the way he focuses on the little things that make stuff weird. And every few pages, there's a nugget or two to make you stop and scratch your head. We'll give you your chance to share your summer reading picks later this month. 